It's the Chris Grace Show. I'm your host, Chris Grace. Thank you so much for coming back to the show. This is episode number two. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. This is a podcast where I talk to interesting people and hopefully you get something out of the conversation. That's the entire pitch of the show. The niche is me. And this week, we've got a great conversation with my friend, William Lindis. He's a film critic in Austin, Texas. He is co-host of the Movie Bears podcast. And he's somebody that I often check in with throughout the year. If I've seen a movie or if I'm curious about something or if I see the name of an obscure film in a film festival catalog, I know that he will have heard of it and can give me some background on it. Or most likely, he's seen it because he goes to so many film festivals um we talked about it a little bit but since film festivals have gone virtual we have the ability to see a lot of movies without traveling too much and william definitely takes advantage of that and uh also one of my go-to follows on letterboxd whenever i want to see what uh my friends think about a movie that i've seen mostly just to see if they agree with me or not anyway let's do a little bit of admin uh as usual you can email me at podcast at chrisgrace.com i would love if you came to the club club club.chrisgrace.com joined and talk about this episode i will be giving away a copy of william's number one movie on the club so when you see this go join the club look for the giveaway section and there'll be a little post there where you just comment on um, the post for this particular episode and you know talk about what you liked about it what you didn't what you thought of the movie if you've seen it or not and one lucky person will get a copy of the number one movie from William's List. Uh, that's club.chrisgrace.com and uh, I'll be rambling about my personal life after the interview as I have previously promised, we do the admin up front, get right to the interview, and then I'll chit-chat with you a little bit after uh, we're done talking with William. So in the meantime, please enjoy my conversation with William Lindis. So my guest this week, I'm pushing up in the schedule for the Chris Grace Show. You're actually like maybe the fourth or fifth person I'm interviewing for the show. But I want to get this episode out early in 2023 so that... Um, people can take advantage of my guests knowledge and add to their lists of movies that they should see uh we have william lindis who is one of the co-hosts of the movie bears podcast a good friend of mine and someone i chat with throughout the year about hey did you see this film did you see that film and so i thought hey i'm starting this show let me make uh william the official movie guy for the chris grace show uh, so please welcome to the show, William Lindis. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Chris. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. You know, it's fun that, um, you know, you and I have talked movies, you know, off and on, you know, whether it be through chatting or when you've been, you know, like visited the area where I'm in here in Austin. But um, it's nice that we get to sort of do it in an official platform, right? You know, with a, a list and metrics and all right, you know, like really counting it down. So this is going to be fun. Let's kick it off. Tell me about your list. Tell me about if you have honorable mentions or if you want to go right into your top 10. I'd love to hear it. Absolutely. So um, the top 10 list, I always say whenever I do my top 10 list at the end of the year, it's always a snapshot of the day that I'm talking about it Mm. um, or the day that I'm publishing it. Because, 
give me two or three days uh, from now and I the mood might hit me differently and the film that was the number 11 might be the number nine. So um, I, I put all of this a little bit with a grain of salt, right? Like these are all movies that I like. Uh, I like These are all movies that, you know, I'm putting onto this list for a reason. Um, but, you know, some of the absolute order is, is pretty fluid. Uh, in terms of honorable mentions, um, there were a lot of really, really good movies that came out this year that um, I think people should check out. Like After Yang is a fantastic movie. Um, I had a great time with Glass Onion, the new um, uh, Ryan Johnson Knives Out film mm-hmm. uh and rrr uh which is probably the action film of the year um just barely missed my list uh and again ask me again in a week i might be feeling a little saucier and might put that one in the the top 10 but um yeah all films you should absolutely check out how did you feel about the year overall as in terms of movies i always find that most years i have a good time with movies partially because i'm I'm a slut for movies, right? You know, uh, so I I really want to um, find the things that I enjoy, and when I enjoy them, I I I become champions for those films. And so, almost any given year, if you're watching a large number of films, you're going to have those films that you champion, right? Um, because of course, you're going to watch some crap. You're going to watch some stuff that's just sort of turned out for you know mainstream. Uh, you know, audiences, which is fine. Those are good things, but sometimes they just lack the spark or the punch that I really need them to. Um, this year in particular, I feel like that there was a sort of a strata for me. There were a lot of films that I really enjoyed, but maybe wouldn't necessarily make my like top 20 or whatever on any given other year. But um, this year definitely did. But there's some films at the very top of this list that are you know, pretty close to all timers for me. And mm. so that's really exciting. Like, I- I'll be honest, like my number one film uh, from when I watched it back in March, spoilers, uh, you might be able to guess what it is, but uh, Wait, I'm looking at uh, my letterbox. I, yeah. I, have, I have a guess. I have a movie from, from March that I saw four times. Yeah, it might be the same one. So um, that one got locked into that number one spot and every other a film that I've watched since has stepped into the arena and has, you know, fallen by the wayside. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the nice thing about movies is that even on, on years that are good years on years that are bad years, there's always a good core of great films to celebrate. And I think this year is probably one of those ones where again, it's good. It's a good year. Um, I think there's probably even stronger years, but every single one of the films in my like top 25, top 30 are good films that you should watch. So, cool. yeah. All right. So I interrupted you, but let's hear, let's hear your number 10. Yeah. Okay. So my number 10 is going to be the most inaccessible film on my list. And I, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's all of the Dow movies from Russia <laughs> in order. <laughs> um, yeah. Gosh, that would be a great, I need to do a top 10 list of just like, incredibly inaccessible and hard to watch films. Uh, but, <laughs> right. uh, no, this one is inaccessible because I just don't think that it's really um, picked up a lot of steam. I don't know how widely it's been um, released. I saw it at a uh, film festival very, very early in the year um, and it stuck with me. Um, it's this film called The Blind Man Who Did Not Want to See Titanic. Uh, (laughs) okay i love it (laughs) it's a hell of a name so this movie is okay so this movie stars this this blind man who and it's it's a a movie from uh finland i believe and he forms this relationship with this woman who he's never met in person 
just through phone conversations. And he finds out one day that her health is declining. And so, okay, he wants to go visit her. And when I say that he's blind, he's got basically like, it's something like 96% like blindness. So mm-hmm. everything the, he sees of the world is almost like if you were to smear Vaseline over like a, a film lens. He can okay. kind of see things, but not really. And so he takes a bus to go try to visit her. Um, and I, uh, he's also wheelchair bound because he's paralyzed from the waist down. And on the way, he comes across some issues and some some struggles he has to go through. What makes this film so visceral to me is the entire thing is filmed through not first person, but it's filmed uh, as if the camera was like sitting on his shoulder or sitting two feet away from him. The camera never gets outside of his um Uh, immediate vicinity Mm -hmm. and it never gives you clarity as to what's being seen beyond like those first couple of feet of things so okay starts yeah so when he starts dealing with uh, he gets into like some people start harassing him um you see the outlines of them you can hear them you see him like moving around for it but you struggle to watch it and at first it's like man this is a hard film to watch Mm -hmm. it's like i'm watching this film with my screen covered in vaseline but Once you get into the rhythm of it and you kind of understand why it's doing what it's doing, it pulls you into his perspective. It's so, so incredibly moving. Wow. I mean, that's, uh, you know, in the sense that, like, movies can kind of create empathy through immersing you in someone's viewpoint that's uh like literally that sounds really interesting uh so you don't know that's not you don't know if it's just being distributed <laughs> that's the I, I'm, I'm looking right now and seeing like okay, i love it i would love know? if all 10 of yours are just like movies you made up that you're just pitching and it's like oh yeah this one uh this is my this, girl my girlfriend in canada made this movie <laughs> yeah this is my shark take moment right now right, like, right, okay right. Uh, i've got spec scripts written up for all of these just <laughs> right. to, um yeah and so gosh this is one of those ones where whenever I think about like end of year lists, I, I sort of think about it from like the list of, okay, what do I want to celebrate? What do I want to like join other people in celebrating? And what do I want to champion that maybe people haven't heard of before? And so that's where this one comes from. Like, yeah. you, know, it's- you know what I'm learning is a lot about, um, uh, or I'm thinking a lot lately about so much of art is, is the marketing side of it. And the, the fact is, is that people need to hear about something multiple times sometimes before it really clicks with them. Like, they, oh, that movie that I heard on that podcast is playing at the local art theater for 48 hours, mm-hmm. you know. So even mentioning it now, you know, it'll find distribution, I'm sure. Uh, where did you see it? Uh, so I saw this one at... Oh gosh, now I've got to remember which <laughs> at the director's house. <laughs> yeah, at the, at, the, the, at the director's house. Yeah, we just go way back. Um, so I I do a lot of like film festivals through the course of the year, and this one I believe was at um uh, I I started doing the virtual Sundance Film Festival once yes. they started once they launched that a couple years ago for obvious pandemic related reasons, and um they're doing it again this year. I got my pass. I'm ready for it, but. Um, yeah, this was one of the films that was at that festival, and um, I, I honestly I skipped over it at first. The title felt like a slog, you know. It's like a mm-hmm. lo- it's a long title, um, but I had an opening, I had a gap. I'm going to give this one a watch, and it just became this like rare gem discovery. Uh, so yeah. you know, I did the virtual South by Southwest the year before last, and that that must have really changed sort of like the film critics 
reach in terms of you don't have to go to Sundance and you can see, I don't know what, 20 to 50 movies or something. Um, I, are you just parked in front of your computer like the whole day, basically? Oh, my goodness. Like one of the things that's so nice about doing these virtually is that you can do exactly that. Um, you know, I've got I've got dogs here at the house. I love spending time with them when I do the in-person festivals it becomes a bit of a burden because I'm usually leaving the house at like 8 a.m., coming back at 2 a.m., getting whatever little sleep I can where I can. And then, of course, my poor dogs, I usually have to have a neighbor come over and help them out. And it just becomes this whole hassle. When I've done these virtual ones, you know, I can like finish watching one. Okay, I'm going to go take the dogs for a walk, go play with them for a little bit. All right, I've got time for another one. I can sit back down. It becomes a little bit more, um, I can build this festival around my life and my schedule, as opposed to me sort of wrapping my life around the film festival mm -hmm. schedule. That's great. Um, let's hear your number nine. Number nine is uh, another film that um, almost didn't make this list. Uh, and the reason for that is because uh, it's technically a film that came out uh, a few years ago. Um, Citizen Kane. <laughs> Citizen Kane. Best film of 2022. Um, but um, so there's a movie I saw at a film festival at 2019. It was at Fantastic Fest here in Austin. Um, it's a Laotian film. Hmm. Um, and um, the film, I, I fell in love with it, but it didn't get any traction until it got picked up for release on Shudder here in 2022. So the first time that other people could watch The Long Walk is at the beginning of 2022. So I'm counting it for this list because I loved it then. I love it now. Um, this movie is by director Maddie Doe, who is the first uh, female director uh, from Laos and also their for first um, horror director. This movie is, uh, it's, it's about this like, Laotian man and it's set slightly in the future um, but only slightly and the film sort of follows um, him sort of traveling back and forth through time basically along this one road um, because he basically when he's a young boy he encounters this ghost this 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 woman that's walking along and um, uh, he's able to through her kind of travel back and always kind of back to that moment or back to that time right um, so shortly after that, as a boy, his mother suffered a very painful death. So this man is trying to figure out how to fix that, how to change that, what he can change. So it's one of those classic, like, what can I change time travel movies? But it's not as like bombastic or wild as a lot of like butterfly effect style movies are. This is a very thoughtful piece. Um, but it's also a very scary piece because Maddie Doe writes, um, these beautiful, elegant little ghost stories that also have this horrific uh, tint to them. Um, so, yeah, I, I love The Long Walk. Um, this one, again, it, it's out on Shudder. Uh, there's also a very a fantastic um, uh, Blu-ray out from uh, Vinegar Syndrome, who did, are just doing the absolute best in terms of uh, um, uh, kind of like getting these dig these physical releases out. Um I strongly recommend it. This is Matty Doe's third feature film, and every single one of them has been an absolute like five-star banger for me. So we can see that one. <laughs> you can watch that one, and all of the rest of these you can see either right now or like when they go back into theater or go back onto streaming. There's a few that just recently left theaters and okay, will be cool. on streaming like soon. Okay, cool. What's your number eight? 
Number eight uh, is on movie of all of all um, uh, sites. Wait, I'm gonna get. Let me guess. Is this an Asian film? This 100% is an Asian film. Is this about a detective and a murder suspect? This is 100% about a detective. Uh, this and a is murder a suspect. decision to leave. Yes, this is. I noticed this on my movie subscription recently um, because I'm used to movie. Movie is a service that I've been on for a while where. And I know I think they still follow this, right? They have movies that are sort of on the service for about a month, and then they kind of fall off. My my, uh, and it's M U B I. It's great, great website. Um, my relationship to movie has always been like they're sort of resurfacing old movies, so and great movies. But then like decision to leave landed on there. I was like, wait, this movie just came out. But anyway, tell me about. I haven't seen it yet. Tell me about this movie. Oh, it's so good. Uh, so this is director um, uh, Park Chan Wook. Um, I mean, this is the guy who's done, I mean, he did Old Boy, he mm-hmm. did The Handmaiden um, fairly recently, you know, great movies, a great filmmaker, um, just one of the best. Um, so this movie is, uh, yeah, this detective begins looking into this man's death, and um, he meets the dead man's wife, who is um, sort of, she's withholding something. You can tell that from the beginning. You don't know what, but there's something at the surface um, that's that's being withheld. And he realizes it as, as well. And so he starts um, sort of digging into this. And what ends up coming from this is a story that is a, it's almost like a ship's passing in the night style, like romance um, type film. Um, not too far off in terms of just sort of like the mood that it gives you as something like in the mood for love. Um, mm. But with also this like mystery crime, you know, who done it element sort of in the background of it as well. Um, you're wondering if these two people are moving in the same direction or if they're moving in opposite directions because they're chasing two very different things. And um, the movie never makes it easy for you. Uh, the movie never makes it um, um, plain to see kind of what's going to happen. And by the time you get to the end of the movie, it it definitely hits with this sort of like the weight of everything that you just saw and everything that these two characters just went through to get to where they were at. Oh, I'm excited. Uh, Park Chan-wook is one of the most like technically accomplished um, directors that I've ever seen. I don't know if you, if listeners have seen old boy, of course um, yes. there's also the entire like vengeance trilogy, which is sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and lady vengeance. But I remember watching uh, his uh, commentary track for old boy and he doesn't talk very much about themes. He, the old boy commentary track is literally like, well, we wanted a really green, light here and then he talks about the the but his mastery of the the technique of filmmaking is uh top tier and i assume this movie is probably still like that (laughs) it's exactly this is a filmmaker who i mean it's almost like a a a faberge egg of a film right like Mm. it feels like everything is very deliberate everything is very um um particularly specifically done but not in a way that feels um, like there's some filmmakers who also have this like technical uh, bent to them uh, where everything has to be a specific way, but that those visual elements sort of insist upon themselves. Like I'm a fan of Wes Anderson films, but there's definitely a style that is 
style forward. I think there's something that's really solid about what Park Chan-wook does is that he's an incredibly technical director, but he doesn't let those filmmaking techniques overpower the story. Mm. He lets them complement the story. So by the end of it, you're not going like, wow, the performances were the thing that stood out for me, or wow, the this or the that. It's like everything comes together into this little, this mushy ball of just goodness. (laughs) That's going to be uh, the name of your memoir. Yeah, the mushy ball of goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so squishy. All right, that was number eight. Uh, what do you have at number seven? All right, we're we're definitely climbing the lists of uh, accessibility here um, as we go into my number seven, which is the new uh, Martin McDonough film, The Banshees of Inisherin. Okay. Um, so I really like this one because I connect with Martin McDonough's sort of... Um, he has a heaviness to his films uh, and an unevenness to his films, which I think makes them messy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in a way that where the um, the the whole is better than any of the sums of its parts. Ah, um, interesting. You know, yeah, we definitely saw that a lot with um, Three Billboards, which had problems. Yeah, had problems. Um, but it's a much better film when you kind of take a step back and look at the whole thing together instead yeah. of looking at any of the individual elements, which I struggle with. Yeah, Three Billboards, I thought, was a great movie once I took a step back completely out of the theater and couldn't see it anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, too. And there's a lot of people that feel that way, and I 100% agree, yeah. especially the ending of that one went it made choices. I was just going to say, it's very interesting because I experienced McDonough complete almost diametrically opposite i think that the parts sometimes are very good and i think mm. that some of the movies are are and and i i thought i i hate three billboards so much but i will say <laughs> that there's a scene in three billboards that's like one of the best scenes i've ever seen in a movie ever and it's a conversation between francis mcdormand and woody harrelson um where just something happens and like the dynamic of the relationship changes in an instant and they have this real human connection but to your pick for this spot, I did enjoy it more than Three Billboards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and part of it is like, you know, of course, with Three Billboards, you've got Frances McDormand who could, you know, you could hand her the phone book and exactly. she could turn in a Oscar winning performance, right? So this one here, what I love so much about this one, and, and it's one of, I, I, I think it's my favorite McDonough work. I really liked In Bruges, um, but I like this one a lot because it feels much more... This is a very hyper-focused film on one set of specific things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, this is a this is a breakup film, um, but about people who are kind of going two different ways in life with their friendship. You know, one who is stagnant and one who is feeling sort of the weight of time sitting on his shoulders, you know, sort of sort of Damocles, you know, uh, I'm going to be dead soon. So what's my legacy? What do I do with this, right? So you have these two people who are sort of, clashing because one needs to move on and the other wants so desperately to stay put. You've got two really, really solid performances here. You've got um, uh, Colin Farrell and you've got um, uh, Brendan Gleeson, you know, who, so good. And uh, we also saw him in another film that this one feels more like than anything else. There's a movie with him, um, with Brendan Gleeson from like 2016, 2017 or so called Cavalry. And it's so remarkably good, also kind of set in Ireland, also sort of set sort of in a small rural area. And it feels more tonally like this than any of the other Martin McDonough movies. Interesting. That's sort of like the entry point, I would say. I think I may want to watch this again because I... I was... I was... I thought it was good, but not... I I, I just kind of thought it was 
okay. But actually, your framing of it makes it – I do – I will say that this movie maps really easily to a lot of, like, relationships that you think about in your own life. The, the That it, it's almost like a um, – I, and I, I mean this as a compliment. It's almost like a Key and Peele sketch where it's like, let's take this yes. dynamic that happens in a lot of relationships where one person wants to – one person is basically like, like, what am I doing with my life? Um, and the other person's like, what? Everything's fine. And then treats it in a, in a expansive way. I mean, at feature length with, you know, Hollywood uh, great actors and beautiful cinematography. Um and and also treats it with a sort of and and I and I don't know what to what degree am I just describing, you know, Irish stereotypical like what a great little fable this is. Yeah. <laughs> these two these two gentlemen out to the side of the water and one of them is you know done with the other, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it has this little magical it has a magical tone to it, and I and so in this movie I feel like his tone does work for that in a way that it, it hasn't for the lot in. Three billboards at least. I think we're at number six, right? Number six. Uh, all right. So at this point, uh, we're talking about a film by Todd Field. Okay. Starring Kate Blanchett. Okay. We're talking about Tar. Tar. Thank goodness you got an American in here, at least, with Todd yeah. Field. <laughs> that, oh, my gosh. That's right. Although yeah. the, we, Todd Field, I wouldn't say, is a quintessential American. Uh, yeah, you know, this isn't like, you know, like, coming up next, Transformers, Michael Bay. Although, you know, uh, the way that they work, they'll probably snap him up for an MCU movie at some point. Oh, 100%. I mean, if he's not on deck for, like, Young Avengers yeah. or something, then, you know, I, they're, 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 you know I, I would be surprised if they haven't slid into his DMs yet. Um, so this is uh, – I haven't seen this yet. This is Kate Blanchett as a – very accomplished uh, conductor. Kate Blanchett is like within the fiction of this world. She is one of the few like EGOT uh, winners. You know, she's um, as a conductor, she's won every award there is. She's spoken on every stage there is. And she's one of the go-tos. If you're going to have someone come do like a guest stint with your orchestra, you bring in um, uh, Lydia Tarr. Um, problem with Lydia Tarr is that, um, she has this sort of the weight of her own uh, fame, um, the weight of her own um, ego, uh, and um, also the weight of how those things clash with her trajectory as a, um, uh, I guess, her legacy and how fragile that can be when there's cameras in every room that you're in. Um, so, you know, as Lydia Tarr starts to do things that start to impact that legacy and start to um, interact with, you know, what would be considered to be like, you know, her, her prestige. Um, she goes into this tailspin and Kate Blanchett plays it so incredibly well. Um, this is a long movie. Uh, it's two hours and 40 minutes. The first scene of this movie is incredibly long and it's just someone interviewing the Lydia Tarr character. And I think you'll know right away if this movie is for you or not. <laughs> like, you'll know in that scene. <laughs> you'll know in that scene. Like it is so incredible. Like you learn so much about this character and um, it's so incredibly well acted, but there's not a cutaway to like in the first few minutes of like, you know, to like something else happening. It's just 
character building. So mm-hmm. some people that's not going to be the right pacing for. But man, once you get going with this um, and just all of the, you know, the house of cards of her life starts to crumble kind of like piece by piece. Uh, this is a hell of a ride. I mean, um, I, I'm somebody who is so happy that Jean Dielman uh, dethroned Citizen Kane <laughs> as yeah. the latest Titan Temple. <laughs> and, and also, like, I love Jean Dielman. Uh, I forget the whole name of the movie, but um, I, I love that movie. I genuinely, I might have seen it on movie, by the way, when we discussed it before. Mm-hmm. Um but I love that movie, and I love the idea of a bunch of, like, random people being like, well, what's this new number one movie? Let's put this on. And it's on HBO Max, I think, or something like that. The idea of them, like, playing Gene Dillman and being like, all right, kids, let's sit down and watch this movie. <laughs> and then, like, three and a half later. I mean, by the way, like, two hours and 45 now is just, like, the length of, like, a Marvel movie. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I watched the new Avatar movie, and that's over three hours. Yeah. Um, Next one's going to be four hours. If I were to go see what's next, the Ant-Man Quantumania uh-huh. in February, that's going to be a two and a half to three hour. Like, movie. Yeah. Like but, a movie, like an Ant-Man movie to me should be like a hundred minutes. Yeah. Um, um, so let me ask you this about Tar. I've heard huh? from people that Tar is very funny. It is, but it's like the humor in this, this is not like a straight up like comedy film. Like it's not a jokey joke film, yeah. right? Um, but it almost feels like, okay, it feels like a hyper dramatic version of one of those like Ben Stiller comedies from the early aughts. Remember those movies where like he would be in a situation and he would do one thing and then it would cause five bad things to happen to him. And then he would, those would cause five more bad things to happen to him. And it just became this like comedy of errors as his life fell to shit. There's some of that here, mm-hmm. but again, it's not a jokey joke comedy. This is just, this is a woman trying so desperately to hold on to her legacy that she'll kind of do anything to make it happen. And because of that, there's some very, um, there's, there's some inherent humor in those situations. Okay. And it definitely uh, feels like sort of of the moment in terms of, you know, a prominent person and how they deal with, um, you know, bad press. <laughs> yeah. Like how you, how, how do you deal with cancel culture when what you did was legitimately bad? Or what do you do with um, cancel culture or whatever you want to call it, you know, um, when what you did maybe wasn't bad, but you also have five other skeletons in your closet? Gotcha. Like, I think this movie does an interesting job of, of exploring that in a way that doesn't feel like preachy one way or the other. You definitely see where this character is in the wrong, but at the same time, you're rooting for you're also okay with sort of seeing kind of where things go. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Are we at number five or four? I think we're, we're at number five. Okay. What do you um, got? Women Talking, the new Sarah Polly film. Okay, great. So this one is, uh, first of all, you know, I mentioned Frances McDormand can act anything. And she's she's one of the leads in this. And so um, this is set in um, uh, 2010. Um, and it's set in a uh, sort of a, a religious community, uh, like a Mennonite style uh, community. And very recently, um, one of the men in the community... I guess content warning for what I'm about to say, you know, was involved in some sexual assaults within the community, Mm -hmm. right? This, you know, the end for those who don't know, these types of communities are, um, even though it's 2010, they're, they're sort of in a, um, you know, no technology, you know, still like agricultural uh, farming style communities. Um, And so all of the men in town, 
um, take the man that is um, uh, responsible and they, they sort of are going to take him off and, and go into town and then um, they and figure out what to do. And they basically say to the women, okay, you have to figure out what, what you want to do with this because they, um, they weren't happy. The women in this community are not happy with what happened. They weren't happy with the, um, the response from the men. Mm-hmm. So that's the setup to this film. They basically, all the women are sitting around this barn um, and it's only women except for one man who's allowed to be in there sort of like a record keeper. And they have three decisions in front of them. They can either choose to do nothing. They can stay in the community and sort of fight back against the men who are, um, you know, they, they don't think that they're really going to change their ways on this. Or they can pack up all their stuff and leave. And so this movie is just, it's called Women Talking. It is just these actresses who are playing the different sides of this argument. Do we stay here because our faith tells us to? Do we, like, fight back because this is our our community too? Or do we leave because we deserve better? Um, and we've got leads in this, like um, we've got Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, uh, Jesse Buckley, who's another one of those people who I love seeing in just about anything right now. Um, uh, Francis McDormand. Um, it's a really good performance here from Michelle McLeod. Uh, ben Wishaw is the, uh, the kind of the one dude in the cast. And it's just women talking about their experiences with, sexual assault in their in their Mennonite community and what to do about it. And it is gripping. Mm. It is so incredibly good. That sounds amazing. Uh, I mean, we established before, I like, uh, see, you know, if, if Tar starts with an interview scene for a, yeah. <laughs> a long time, this seems like it's, uh, I don't know. This doesn't seem like a great entry in the MCU uh, canon. <laughs> no, like, look, in the grand scheme of things, if you look at, you know, um, where this one, this, you know, yes, they introduced the Fantastic Four, in this movie, <laughs> right. but you know, uh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that sounds great. Um, do you, I guess my question would be, does it feel like a play? It, it feels a little like it could be a play, right? Um, you know, this is based off of a, a, a book, um, that's told sort of from the perspective of the, um, journal entries from the guy that's catalog that's allowed to sort of stay behind and like discuss all of this. And so when they adapted the book, like since it's all based around these proceedings in this barn, it's all based around like this basically 24 hour period of these women talking every so often they'll might they leave for the night and then come back for the, you know, the next morning. But um, there's no scenes that are set outside of the barn aside from like some establishing things or maybe some like quick setup or maybe some little step outside of the barn to talk for a moment. But the whole movie is set inside of this one area. And because of that, yeah, that would lend itself very, very cleanly to a stage production. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It sounds exciting. Now we're at number four, right? We're at number four. Ha- have have um, we, have we um, uh, crossed the liminal space to the, you're all timers at this point, or are we? We're 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 right at the cusp of it. Okay. Um, I think the next three kind of fit that. This is the one that um, my number four is a movie called After Sun, uh, a first time uh, from first time director Charlotte Wells, uh, and this is a movie that is right on the cusp of being an all timer. But I do feel like since it's in some ways it's a slight movie, and that's not a bad thing. It's just because it's a, it's a small little story that it's telling. Mm. Um, I 
don't know how much staying power it's going to have with me like three, four or five years from now. Okay. Right? Whereas the other ones, um, I have seen all of my top three multiple times now uh-huh. and um, uh, will want to go see them again. After so, Sun has already is already on my list because it's made several top ten lists um, just listening around to different like film spotting and other podcasts as well. Uh, but tell me, tell me, I don't know anything about this movie. Yeah, so this woman is sort of set. Um, it's set in an incre- in, in, in an entirely like memory space, and I don't mean like it's a bunch of flashbacks. Um, you start with this woman who's dancing at this club, and you can tell that she's being you know she's being weighed down by something, and then the movie kind of shifts to her life twenty years earlier. And um, she is a young girl. I want to say she's like, you know, 14, 13. You know, she's, you know, she's maybe even younger, but, you know, sort of in that, like, um, she's still a girl, but she's not like a little, little girl at this point, you know. Um, And she goes on uh, a holiday with her father, who we're not told a lot about the backstory of this, um, uh, of these characters. And that's intentional, right? Um, we know that at some point he's um, separated from the mother. We know that um, he doesn't spend time with her regularly because she spends more time with the mother. But we know that they're still at least on good enough terms that he can call and talk to the mother at certain times in the movie. And while they're on this vacation, um, you can tell that he's grappling with something. Um, and at the same time, he's trying to provide this like really good memory and experience for the daughter. And this movie withholds a lot of its secrets. Like there's some movies that like sort of build up to like a, a payoff, a giant reveal. Like we're going to show you like this particular thing. And this movie never really wants to do that. This movie really wants to play in the space of sometimes when we think back on these moments that we have with loved ones and these experiences. We don't know the whole story of what was happening with everyone else in that time. We only know our segment, right? We only know what we experienced there. Mm. And so this, this girl here now, 20 years later is sort of thinking back to what did that time with my father mean? What did I, you know, did I miss something here? Should I, um, did I, um, uh, did I, experience everything that my father was when uh when i was on this vacation you know or was i just a little girl who was just experiencing what i wanted to as a little girl you know and i think that's very easy for us to be haunted by you know these relationships um that you know you know without going into the spoilers you know something happens at some point in the you know uh in those 20 years um and it causes her to sort of look back with uh sort of like this melancholy on that moment melancholy mixed with like a bittersweet joy you know it was a good experience but it also was a a moment that she has some regrets about Hmm. um i love a movie like this because it's it's very small it is just about this girl and her vacation with her father and um but it's also large in that it has repercussions that ripple through this woman's life up till the you know the present and i think again it's it's so relatable we can all find moments in our lives where we think back and like you know what did that mean what did that conversation mean Mm. what did that you know so i love this movie and there's a reason this is a first time filmmaker and i i'm excited to see that this um this filmmaker who I mean, 
I'm checking now. She may have done some short films. She probably, you know, most people we've done. Yeah, she's done some short films. But this is her first feature. Right. Um, and I, I, I see a future. Like, I see a definite future for her, especially making all of these top ten lists. Cool. I'm excited. Okay, now we're in your sort of vaunted 2022 Hall of Fame. Let's hear your number yeah. three. Uh, my number three is probably the one that I think uh, maybe most people that are listening have seen. Um, I really liked Nope. Uh, I really like Jordan Peele's Nope. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, I, he's three for three for me at this point. Um, I think he tells stories that uh, as a filmmaker um, have these blend of like these sci-fi horror elements, obviously, but also he pulls in um, you know racial politics, uh, class politics. Um, social politics, um, uh, um, class politics, just all these different things in a way that I feel like there's a lot of films that do that, but I think a lot of them feel, it can feel very heavy handed, mm-hmm. right? You can agree with the message, but maybe not necessarily like be entertained by the film. But I think Jordan Peele does, uh, does a, a wonderful job here of telling a story that's about a lot of things and can be about a lot of those different things. But um, is also, um, I don't know, you can sort of like Rorschach your way into it. Uh, this film here uh, is about um, this brother and this sister, who um, uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, uh, who um, inherit this um, uh, Hollywood like horse ranch. Uh, and they soon realize that there's um, perhaps something uh, in the clouds, a UFO of some sorts that might be... Um, um, a threat hmm. or maybe something for them to capture on film. This film captures the idea of uh, how we treat um, animals uh, in, uh, in general and in Hollywood, it captures, um, you know, the way that we look at anyone that's sort of like, you know, the way that we've treated historically like minorities in film. Uh, and also it, cast a mirror up to like how we view spectacle as a whole, Mm -hmm. you know, and how we relish in those moments of spectacle. Um, I really love this movie and it's one of those ones that um, I really liked it on first watch on second watch. Once you kind of know what tricks it's going to pull, I think it's even stronger because this is a very tightly written movie. Once you know what to look for. Fascinating. I, um, where would you, how would you rate his three movies so far? Oh gosh. Um, So, this is going to be an unpopular opinion, I think, just based off where most people are. But I think Us is my favorite. Oh, yeah. Hot take. I think a lot of people, <laughs> yeah, hot take, hot take there. But I really liked Us. Um, uh, I think there's just something about that film that felt so unlike so many other things that I've seen, especially with where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I then probably put Nope and then Get Out, although I like all three of them. Oh, I man, think this, that is, Get this Out, is Hot Take Central. Yeah, I think Get Out's only the lower of the three for me because um, I think that of the different films that he's done, it's the one that it's once you kind of get to the one central twist of the film, you're, you're, you're kind of you're watching one film, then you get to the central twist of it, and then you're watching another film and you can sort of follow those lines pretty directly. I think Us and Nope. And I think this is me as a film watcher. I think they're both a little messier just in terms of throwing additional things in there. But I like that in films when someone mm-hmm. just say, it's like, yeah, I'm going to dump some extra things on the table and they're going to be good things. What are you going to do with these? Yeah. Uh, you know what? Thank you. You you gave me the social media hot take. I'm going to clip you and say, 
Austin film critic says get out is Jordan Peele's worst movie. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, put it, put that on the poster. Um, <laughs> it's, it's uh, yeah, I haven't seen Nope yet, but I'm, I'm eager to see it. And it's, int- uh, I'll be interested because for me, us did not work as well as get out. Um, and yeah. I think I was also seeing some of the messiness that you're talking about, mm-hmm. but I will say that I'm incredibly like, it's very impressive. The, the, his acquisition of like filmmaking craft yeah in in three movies is is his you know coming from comedy or coming from wherever you know wherever you think Jordan Peele's going to bring to movie making um you expect him to like he's probably going to have some sharp screenplays with interesting characters and funny dialogue and um you know maybe some interesting concepts but i don't think we would have predicted like hey he's going to come out with movies that have a real control of the visual aspects and sound um, yes. of all the needle drops that happen in the movies. Um, because so for me, like us isn't in my, by the way, us is probably a movie I'll revisit, but on first or I think I've seen it like one and a half times. Right. Um, yeah. Not for me, didn't succeed as much as get out. However, the end music cue where he's playing, um, it's like called the floors or something by um, Minnie Ripperton. Uh-huh, and it's just uh-huh. pulling up over the hills and like the hands across America lines, whatever. Like that image will still, that still sticks with me, even though there's stuff that happens in the last half hour of that movie that I'm kind of like, eh, I don't really, I'm not loving this. But the, but he's cracked, he's somewhat cracked that thing that I think a lot of more veteran filmmakers have, which is maybe this movie isn't perfect, but I'm going to hit you with a couple of like images and, juxtapositions of of light and sound that you're going to that are going to stick with you oh yeah and there's i mean this is also a film that i think is going to move film forward in general i mean he and his cinematographer came up with some new ways of shooting um that made for um some of the most stunning like nighttime scenes Hmm. that i've seen on film um they um though they came up with some new techniques for sort of using the IMAX style camera as well. Um, and then there is a moment which I'll, I'll withhold what it is, but um, it's probably the scariest film mo- moment of this year. Whoa. Um, and it's less from the visuals and more from the sound design. Interesting. Um, and so when you mentioned the thing about like his control over sound, I'm like, yeah, like, I, I know someone who um, they got out of the movie and they sent me a message right after the words that just says, I'm going to be haunted by that set. Like, I'm going to lose sleep over over this one specific scene. Interesting. Like, yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, what's your number two? Number two. Um, yeah, I, I love um, sort of messed up love stories. And um, my number two film is Bones and All, directed wow. by uh, Luca Guadagnino. Fascinating. <laughs> I've got that on my queue to watch. Uh, this one, I mean, you, you, this is another one. And I think this is what's so big about my list, right? Like, I think there are certain films here that are going to be big swing, big misses for certain people. And that's okay, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I tend to like movies that take a swing. And that means that if a film that makes a swing, some people are going to love. 
some people are going to hate and I'm okay with that. Like, I think there are some people that, um, you know, enjoy a film that is sort of like accessible to everyone. And I think there's value in those types of films, you know, comfort watches. But when it comes to like my end of year lists, I really like the types of films that take a chance on something. So I might love it. The next person might hate it. That's okay. <laughs> Because it took a big swing and um, it connected. And because of that, it's going to whiff for some people. This film stars Taylor Russell, uh, who's incredible. Um, you know, we saw her as uh, in Waves uh, a couple years ago. And she's been the lead in those um, escape room movies. Um, you know, and I found her her performance in Waves, which again, messy, but I loved uh, to be really good. I like her in the escape room movies, even if those movies aren't necessarily <laughs> okay. for me. Gotcha. She's good. She's good. Um, but she stars across from uh, Timothy Chalamet here, who we've seen work with uh, Luca Guadagnino before. Um, and this movie stars, um, uh, it's about the two of them. They have this like strange hunger for human flesh. Let's just call mm -hmm. it that. They're cannibals. Um, and um, there's no like transformation. They turn into like zombies or anything like that. You know, it's just, you know, we find out fairly early on that there's a subset of people who just have this craving for human flesh and it overcomes them. And um, a lot of these people end up sort of on the outskirts of society because it's not the type of thing that you can just sort of like fit in normally when you're, you know, <laughs> dealing with these consequences. Right. right. Um, so the two of them meet and they sort of go on a um, cross country tour. They have some things that they, 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 they're traveling to go try to accomplish. And so they're dealing with this, dark hunger while also dealing with, you know, their uh, kind of their friendship slash feelings for one another. Um, this is a great movie about how it feels to be sort of like marginalized, um, how it feels to be, to feel like an outcast or a misfit and how it feels to find your people and to find your place in a world that isn't necessarily accessible for you. Okay. Um, I'm really fascinated by this because I think I came across this movie, um, I think on TikTok or something where a scene was a clip of a movie was posted and I, uh -huh. you can tell me if this is from this movie, but it was like girls at a sleepover. And then yes. like suddenly one of the girls just decided to like bite the fingers off of another one. And I was like, similar to what you're talking about with the sound from Nope, where it's like, wait, my brain can't process what's happening. I was watching this clip going like, wait, is this a, what is this movie? <laughs> and, and is what I'm watching good or bad? <laughs> um, it was so different. It felt the tone of it felt so strange to me. And then I was like, oh, this is yes. that, that bones and all movie. Yeah, in fact, and that's a, a fair scene to talk about, too, because that's the um, I mean, that's the opening of the film. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, so it's uh, that's that's the Carrie Russell character kind of when she was younger. And um, you find out that sort of like this is something she's had with her for a while. Right. Um, uh, did I say Carrie Russell? Yeah. Carrie Russell is in a very different, uh, <laughs> very different movie. This is, uh, this is a um, sequel to Felicity, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. It's like, it was all great until she cut her hair and her neighbor's throat. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, no, um, you're, you're absolutely right though. Like it's the, the opening scene is very jarring, right? Because you're expecting one thing, you get another thing. And then, um, that immediately transitions into a scene with her father who isn't surprised by this. And so it 
immediately switches you a different direction. You don't know kind of where it's going. And once it falls into the rhythm of what it is, this isn't like a twisty movie, um, but it is a movie with some suspense. It's a movie with uh, definitely some uh, tension. Um, but it's also a movie that's just sort of about these two people connecting. Like if you lo even look at the poster for Bones and All, um, it looks like they have the... the um, Timothy Chalamet and Taylor Russell's faces sort of like put together forehead to forehead and they've cropped out the negative space, like forming like a heart. You know, this is a romantic movie, but it's also a thriller and it's also like a um, romantic drama. It's a lot of things all kind of merged into one. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. I'm fascinated. I, I, and this movie does seem like a big swing. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, whether my, uh, you know, like I think my sister will probably listen to this podcast, and I, I bet my sister's gonna hate this movie. <laughs> uh, there's, I mean, th there's, there's definitely the, hey, our romantic leads are okay with the idea of m maybe eating a person. Like <laughs> right. you, that's that is a huge hurdle to get over. And I, if someone gets that and just like this isn't for me. I get it. Like, I'm not one of those people who like, I'll fight you for my picks or anything like that. <laughs> um, if anything, like, I think that like, it's fun when we have like very differing lists, right? Yeah. Because um, it means that I'm going to hear more things that, that you or the next person's going to like that I didn't even consider. And it, and they can now be added to my list or just even new perspectives on films that I didn't give a good chance the first time. So, yeah, this one's not for everyone. I know it's not, but um, there is a subset of people this one's going to be for. And if you do, you're going to really click with this movie. OK, before we get to your number one, I'll go through my letterbox, which uh, I mm. obviously didn't log everything that uh, my husband, Eric, and I watched because we've been watching all of the best picture movies from. Yeah. Uh, so this year, I think we ended up going. I think this year we went from from like Midnight Cowboy to Gandhi is what we saw this year. We okay. we hit a couple patches where like the next movie was like very heavy and so it like took us a little while to watch it but uh I will yeah. I will say standouts from this era. I mean, we had the luxury of going through the 70s this year. Um so we saw both of the Godfathers, we saw One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest which is tremendous. I will say the most boring one we saw this year was Chariots of Fire, which is just like so dull. <laughs> I don't want to, but I'm ex I'm excited. Next, uh, we we have Amadeus coming up very very soon, which I love. Um, okay, so Letterbox for me this year, um, um, I saw Doctor Strange, which in my opinion was hot garbage. Um, I saw Men, which I completely forgot came out this year, um, which was fine. Um, there was some some striking imagery in men, I will say, um, but yeah, uh, uh, and then I I saw Fall, <laughs> which I actually was more fun than I thought it would be. That one's been sitting at the top of my like I want to watch this soon queue, but um, I, as I got closer to the end of the year, I started doing the whole like, okay, I need to start watching the things that are like you know maybe this will make a list, so I need to like get, get catch up. So it's been just sort of like. Uh, you know, always the bridesmaid, never the bride for like the last several months for me. So it sounds like I need to just sort of pull the trigger. Yeah, falls just a, it's a, you know, it, I will say that in a like 30 hour period, I really used my AMC A list because I saw fall, bullet train and beast. 
within three days. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and Beast I actually enjoyed quite a lot. Then I saw Bros, which I thought mm. was good. There's a speech in the middle of the bros that really hit me though. It's like it's when Billy Eichner is on the beach and he says a thing about he nobody a bunch of people thought he would never make it and he just wanted he just had to like wait long enough to sh- prove that they were wrong and they yeah. were wrong. And like that really resonated with me that the idea of just like you aren't going to change some people's minds like some of it is just you just have to persist. Yeah, win through perseverance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Then I saw Barbarian twice. Barbarian, I love. Yeah, Barbarian is so good. Barbarian is, um, uh, it's another one. So I, I do like a top twenty-five video that I, I'm desperately behind on editing right now. Oh yes, a, a uh, great, but, great video. Uh, yeah. I'll, we'll link to it when you get it. Yeah, uh, Barbarian is on that list. Okay, cool. You know, like it's 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 so fucking good. Okay, then a movie in March that I saw four times. So uh, I think it's a, it's your number one. I'm guessing, but what is your number one for the year? My number one for the year is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Uh, oh no, mine is was uh, Spider Man No Way Home. No, <laughs> oh Spider Man No Way <laughs> no, Home. No, no, yeah, no, I mean, just, we're talking the multiverse. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, it's Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yeah. This movie, like, so sometimes you watch a movie and you know instantly that it's your number one film of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, Moonlight, when that came out, I watched that one. I'm like, all right, okay, year's over. Like, everything else is competing for second. Um, same thing happened with Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, this is one of those movies that um, I didn't know I needed. Uh, and then when I got it, I, I found myself... Um, um, sort of angry that it hadn't come out sooner, right? Um, <laughs> what a weird response. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, so because, I mean, this movie does some things that I, I think, I think any movie that sort of grapples with the idea of what it means to really fall into the pits of, like, nihilism, which I think feels very relatable given everything that everyone has gone through the last few years Mm -hmm. you know global pandemic just like a bunch of terrible politicians doing terrible things um you know it's easy to kind of feel that existential despair and just the sort of like nothing matters of it all right um but i think that what we get here is a story that sort of finds its way through that story you know um show yao and the 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 lead role here is so good you know the story for anyone that doesn't know is you know the michelle yao character um is uh, an aging chinese immigrant who um works in a um like a family-owned laundromat uh with her um husband played by kei Kwan, uh who you may remember from uh goonies and uh indiana jones uh temple of doom mm. um and um and we haven't really seen him since right um and she soon finds out that she can hop through the multiverse to every version of her that it could possibly be um, based off of all the choices and the regrets and the things that she didn't do. Um, But there's also a malignant nihilistic force that can do that too, that she has to clash with. This is a funny movie. This is an action packed movie. This is a tearjerker of a movie um this is a visually creative movie um the daniels they also gave us um swiss army man a few years ago and i would also strongly strongly recommend if you like the visuals in this 
check out some of their music videos. Mm-hmm. Um, just go on YouTube. They did the music video for Foster the People's um, Houdini. They did the video for um, uh, uh, the Shin Simple Song. Um, they do just some. Uh, they did the turn down for what? <laughs> the video. turn down for what? Which uh, yeah. uh, one of the Daniels is in, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so this, this movie does like, I, I think when I came out of this, this, this movie for me, you know, it, it gave me everything everywhere all at once, just as a film lover. Like if I were to have to make like my top 10 movies of all time list, um, I'm always hesitant to like put like recency bias films uh, on there, but this one would at least be in the discussion for it, which is such a weird thing to say about a movie I saw, you know, for the first time just like nine months ago. But here we are. It's that good. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I This movie is 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 a little bit like if you were going to a deserted island and you could only take one movie, you might take yeah. this movie because it has so many aspects to it. I think that there are elements of this movie's philosophy that are simple rather than simplistic. Yeah. You know, there's an element of, hey, we should be kind to one another. Um, There's an element that you were talking about in terms of like what we've all gone gone through with the pandemic. There's a moment where um, what Waymond talks about, like, don't you feel it? Like, like your clothes don't fit right. I can't remember exactly what he read, but he sort of talks about us all feeling a little discombobulated. Um, And I think that. The complexity of the cinematic storytelling is kind of what lets them tell philosophically relatively simple story. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if, like, you know, if it was just Michelle Yeoh and Stephanie Hsu just at a laundromat, and it was at the end, it was just like, you know, I know you hate me, but you're my daughter, and I want to hang around you or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that would fly, but the the it's such an expressive movie. And it really is, um, it's like, I, I find it such an inspiring movie from an artistic point of view because it's like these guys had these ideas and it almost feels like, hey, we have an idea for this. Um, is there a reason why we can't put in this this in the movie? No? Okay, we're going to put this in the movie then. There are um, tangents in this movie that you think would only be worthy of maybe like about 30 seconds of film. <laughs> um mm-hmm. And they kind of come and go, and they seem like airplane-style visual jokes that you're never going to see again. And then those tangents are followed up upon um, way more in-depth than you would expect to be. And also way more emotionally resonant than you expect them to be. And and tied in with the central theme of the movie way more than you think will be. A hundred percent. And it's impressive to think that this movie, I would say, is one of the most visually captivating films of the year in terms of just, you know, not necessarily the volume of its effects, but how it uses its effects, mm. right? And this is a five-person special effects team. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that compared to, and, you know, I enjoy, like, you know, like a Marvel film or, like, you know, one of those, like, big, like, um, uh, studio blockbuster stuff. Well, none of them made your top um, 10, William. <laughs> none of them made my top 10. Um, and, um, and, but it's, it's impressive to look at, you know, like when you look at the visual effects scroll for those, you know, there's dozens and dozens of names and I'm taking nothing to get away from them because they're doing incredible work for this type of story that they're telling. But 
I'm just, I guess what I'm saying is just by comparison, I'm really impressed that you have a smaller team that's still able to put out something that is just as visually like resonant with the story that it's telling. Like, you know, the way they did the, um, there's moments where she's just sort of like whirling backwards uh, and kind of like shooting into another scene. They stole some effects like that, like Buster Keaton used to do in his old uh, mm. films um, and, and modernized them. Uh, and to great effect, it looks really good. Yeah. I mean, they have this uh, approach to the fight choreography. That's um, I, I think those guys are called like fight club. Maybe uh, mm. they like were putting up like fight choreography videos on you on TikTok and YouTube. And they have it, the, this movie just feels scrappy, like in every way. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, they've got these sequences where Michelle Yeoh goes through, like, say, seventeen seconds of like all her alternate <laughs> worlds, and it's crazy the number of effects shots that are in those little blur- blurs of like seeing her face in all these different contexts. Um, and actually, this is something I'm probably going to order on like 4K Blu-ray uh, just so I can sort of frame by frame go through like every single one of those like other looks that she has. Oh, I saw a YouTube video just the other like a week ago because I'm still sort of like this movie's still in my brain. Someone took uh, it was like, oh, like a 30 minute video it was long um, and they went through every frame in every one of those like fly throughs and just put them up on the screen and talked about them for a moment. Oh, wow. And so it's, it's incredible because there's some that are dumb. It's like, uh, it's like a picture of a house that they've just roughly Photoshopped Michelle Yeoh's face. To the <laughs> side of it. In this universe, she's a house. Right. Um, but, and then there's one where it's literally just um, a, um, a zoom call with the five special effects guys <laughs> and a picture of Michelle Yeoh's face with a green screen behind it. When they were figuring out what to do, they decided, Oh, in this universe, it's just us figuring out what to do with her. That's great. Um, I mean, that one of my favorite shots in the whole movie is when uh, we're seeing like glamorous Michelle Yeoh in as a movie star. And it's uh, like pre- press footage from crazy rich Asians, <laughs> red, red yes. carpet launch. Um, and uh, by the way, like aside from all this stuff, for me, this movie resonates so much. Just like, like I was thinking the other day, this movie is essentially to I think Chinese American kids of immigrants. This to me feels like the moonlight of that world, the yeah. Black Panther of that world, the the longtime companion. You know the way that connected to gay audiences way back in the day. This feels like that movie for for that demographic. Um, it's, it's like, I, I, it's very hard for me to articulate how you go through popular culture and you don't really feel seen by it. You know, I mean, for 40 something years, you don't really feel seen by it. Like, and the last time I felt really connected to a movie like this was like, maybe like Joy Luck Club. And I felt a little bit of it with Crazy Rich Asians, even though it was so disconnected from like anything going on in my life. Yeah. Um, but then it's like, it's this, you know, actually you described it as a movie you didn't know that you needed. Like, it's like that times 100. If you haven't seen even a family like this, like there's a shot, the shot in this movie that makes me well up with tears every time I see it is there's a shot where somebody's trying, somebody's sort of trying to go into like a portal, but not, and there, there's a struggle. 
And there's like three characters holding on to this person to sort of like fight this fight together. And it's yeah. this whole sort of like extended family of generations, right? And that one mm-hmm. shot of them on the stairs like makes me emotional because like I haven't seen that family on screen before. This is a story that is very much about this multi-generational Chinese family and what they've experienced, what they are experiencing. And it's a story that you could rewrite this story and make it, you know, you know, a bunch of white people. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But it would not be anywhere near as uh, impactful um, told that way, because this movie has that, you know, that has that visibility, has that um, weight to it. And I think you're right. Like, um, you know, we're seeing this and we're not fully there yet, but we're starting to see this sort of reevaluation of what representation on, on in media means. And we're starting to see more films that are sort of doing this. You know, you mentioned Black Panther. You mentioned, you know, we talked about a little bit about like Jordan Peele before and, and, you know, his, you know, he sort of has, he's, he said that he's not going to be telling stories about, you know, it's not he's he's going to cast white actors, but he's not really going to tell stories about the white experience. He wants to tell stories about black people. And that's great. That's and he has the the, the clout now to do that. Um, I think that after this, you know, whatever Michelle Yao wants to do next, you know, I think she can 100 percent step into whatever the next leading role is. And it'd be something that is, um, I don't know, pushed out more and uh, in front of more audiences. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, the next thing even, she should be stepping into is getting an Oscar, <laughs> I think. hundred um, percent. I think part of the reason why this is so resonant from from an Asian-American point of view is that um, I actually do think there's sort of like cinematic elements of this movie aren't necessarily Asian, but like the choreography feels in dialogue with like Jackie Chan, Hong Kong choreography. Um, the, certainly the visuals of her as a movie star are all, um, Wong Kar Wai. <laughs> like it's, it's literally like watching a Wong Kar Wai movie. Um, and so, yeah, there are elements of it that are, um, I, even the scrappy nature of the filmmaking feels like a Hong Kong movie in a way. Um, I, I one thing I do, I like, I hope that we can g- grow this feeling that a movie like this is like a very, it, this is like a very American movie, you know, like, yes. um, and one of the things that pissed me off the most this year was like, I, there's a podcast I listened to, which I, I enjoy. And they talk about pop culture and they said, Hey, this movie's great. Um, so this is like a Chinese movie. Uh, it seems like it's sort of for Chinese audiences. So, uh, there's some jokes in it that maybe an American audience wouldn't get. And I'm like, the Daniels are American. Uh, yeah. Stephanie Hsu's character is an Asian American you know, child of immigrants is taking place in America. Like this is an American movie. It's sort of like Minari being considered like a foreign movie. Yes. Which by the way, like that is, I mean, that is a story about the American experience. It just happens to be that the, um, the, the family in that speaks a little uh, Korean at times, but you know, that is not a foreign language film. And it's weird that that's kind of where it landed. And same here. Like you're, you're absolutely right. This is a movie about the american experience yeah it just so happens that the american experience doesn't have to be an all-white experience and i think that's 
what's so great about this. Yeah, you're right. The Daniels, I mean, they're they're telling this from their perspective, um, which, you know, one of those guys is, is white, 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 you know? Um, and so I, and, and, you know, you mentioned the, the Hong Kong elements of this and Jackie Chan. I think uh, one of the things I was reading is Jackie Chan was originally who they were looking for to play the lead in this. Yes, and, <laughs> I heard that. Yeah. So, um, and then, and, you know, with the, the, in the mood for love scenes, you know, like, which sort of borrow from that one car Y style. Um, I, I, you're right. Like this is a movie that is in dialogue with um, certain like, um, Chinese um, style, like uh, uh, filmic styles. Um, but at the same time, this is not a. Maybe, I, there's no point in this movie where I felt like I was missing anything um, because I, I like that. I didn't get um, because of, you know, this is a Chinese movie that I couldn't understand. There's certainly things that I think would resonate more if you are of that background of that culture and are saying like, yeah, this this connects with me in a different way, 100%. But there's nothing that I felt like I was, like, missing from my enjoyment. Yeah, I will just say that, like, there is a moment in that ha- of dialogue that happened between Michelle Yeoh and Stephanie Hsu where she was trying to, like, connect with her and said something else. And it just reminded me of, uh, I want to say 2014 or 15, my partner at the time had died very suddenly, and I was home in Texas visiting my mother, who is Chinese, And, you know, just talking to her about what had happened and how, you know, I was devastated. And um, so I was leaving and she like beckoned me closer and it was like, I have something really important I need to tell you. And so I like leaned in and I really thought she was going to give me some kind of like wisdom about, you know, uh, you know, you can get past this or you know, honor his memory or whatever. And what she said was, uh, you need to lose some weight. <laughs> and, and yes, that was such a, you know, and, and going to this, this movie, the scene where it's like her way of showing that she loved her daughter. Yeah. Was saying that you're getting fat. And even the daughter like recognized that, you know? Um, I, I, yeah. And it, it, there's, we're on this. And I don't want to see more of this we're we're getting more not enough but we're getting more um diversity in films we talked about bros earlier and the weight that it had to carry we talked about the weight that you know black panther had to carry and crazy rich asians had to carry um i hope that we get to the point where films like this can sort of break through and still be able to have those representative voices, but not necessarily have to carry the weight of being the only examples of, um, you know, certain types of people on screen. Yeah. You know what? Um, I've always thought this because this, I think this sort of did happen with, with gay dramas, which is the way, you know, when you're breaking through is when you're allowed to like make mediocre movies of these genres. Um, You know, you know that Marvel movies have broken through because there's a lot of like below average Marvel movies and they still keep getting made. So like the genre is accepted, you know? Um, so the time that, um, you know, a story about um, a, an Asian American family comes out and you just kind of like, eh, it was fine. And it does reasonably well. And another one gets greenlit. That's really when, when, that's true acceptance is the ability to be mediocre. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, we're, we saw this year also um, switching gears a little bit, but we saw, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate for uh, indigenous and, and Native American representation in film. Um, you know, I, I, I'm Chickasaw. Uh, and so I, I you know, that while there's, there's not a lot of Chickasaw movies, um, there are definitely indigenous films. Right. And so I try to um, to track those down and support them where I can. This year we had Prey, the new film in the um, Predator franchise come out. Um, and, you know, it's it's set in the past and it's, you know, it's uh, starring um, several Comanche characters. But they released a version. First of all, it did well, you know, and but second of all, um, they released on Hulu um, a second audio track that was all done in Comanche with like uh, English subs. And a lot of people watched it. The I think Prey, when when it came out, was the most watched like Hulu film like ever. Um, so again, it's one of those things where we're starting to see, you know, different types of people allowed to be the leads in films and I'm here for it and I want to see more of it. Um, and you know, that's not why I like everything everywhere all at once. Um, I, I don't want it to, you know, I don't want to make it feel like the only reason I like it is because of those. This is an amazing movie. And I also appreciate that it has these elements. Uh, well, we had the same number one for the year. Um, everyone go see these movies. We're going to try to figure out where we can see uh, the blind man that doesn't want to see Titanic. <laughs> as soon as I find the link, I'll send it your way. Yeah. I'm sure it exists somewhere. Uh, William, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I, I look forward to many years of you being the movie guy for the Chris Grace show. Because uh, I love talking about this stuff with you absolutely you know chris i always enjoy chatting with you because you know your perspective is one that um you know that that i enjoy like we have some overlap we definitely have you know like we had here we have some things that you know um we you know we we didn't connect with like you know us you know for example but um i always i always appreciate your point of view on things and and just love chatting with you let's 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 chat more let's do it more and also uh i'm going to ask you to talk about how people can follow you and one way that i also I often I'll go see a movie and then I'll kind of look for William's letterbox review. So how can people follow the stuff you're doing? Absolutely. So as we mentioned at the top of the show, um, part of a podcast as well, uh, Movie Bears Podcast. You can just go to moviebearspodcast.com or check out Twitter, Facebook, um, uh, any podcast catcher that you might happen to use, Apple, Spotify, whatever. Um you know, we, we roughly once a week um, do sort of like a popular movie review over there. Um, and to connect with me personally, I'm on Letterboxd. Um, you know, we mentioned that it's a great site for people to like rank and review and list films. Uh, everything I watch gets listed and ranked it there. Um, just search for William Lindis there. Otherwise, I'm just on the normal social platforms, Facebook, uh, Instagram. I'm still on Twitter, but that may not be for long. <laughs> uh, I've 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 slowed down on giving people my Twitter handle just because it's you know I I haven't hit the eject button yet, but it's happening soon. But yeah, just connect with me wherever you can find me on any of the socials. Um, just say hey, I, I heard heard you on the Chris Gray show. Uh, let's talk movies. I'm game. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the show, William. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was William Lindis, film critic from Austin, Texas. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And update since I recorded this interview, I have seen Tar since then, and Tar is a wonderful movie. Definitely worth watching. Uh, I haven't seen any of the other ones, but they are all queued up 
ready to go. And uh, actually, a couple days ago, the Oscar nominations came out, and everything, everywhere, all at once got the most Oscar nominations out of all the movies, of course, which is, um, you know, appropriate. The big battle, I think, will be between Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh for Best Actress. And uh, obviously, I sentimentally want Michelle Yeoh to win, but out of all the performances I've seen this year, if there's one that I could see them awarding over Michelle Yeoh, it would be Kate Blanchett in Tar, because it's a pretty tremendous performance. I highly recommend that movie. And of course, Everything Everywhere all at once. And speaking of, I will be giving away a copy of the 4K Blu-ray DVD, because I just ordered one for myself, but I'm going to order one for you too. If you go to club.chrisgrace.com and go to the giveaway section, leave a comment on the post there, and uh, you might be the lucky person that gets a free copy of the movie, and I'm actually pretty excited. I heard the special features for the movie are quite good. Um, So the ramble, let's get to it. I'm in Houston, Texas. I am recording this in my nephew's room, which is where I'm staying. He's currently at college and uh, I'll be driving this Friday to Paris, Texas for the Tower City Comedy Festival. If you're in Paris, Texas or if you're in Dallas, I think it's drivable from Dallas. I'll be doing a show there late Friday night and also opening for Todd Glass Saturday. Uh, as part of that festival that uh, seems like a really fun thing. I'm really looking forward to it. Just got uh, to Texas from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where I did the Snow Jam Comedy Festival. That was really fun as well. And um, things are heating up, y'all. I'm 95.9 million percent sure that I'm going to be doing a solo show at Edinburgh Fringe this year. So it looks like I might be doing... Two improv shows and a solo show and some stand-up at Edinburgh Fringe this year. So uh, Chris is going to be a very busy boy this year. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I've been trying to stay busy. I feel like I'm actually more productive when I'm busy. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? More productive when you're busy. I'm more effectively productive when I'm (laughs) overwhelmed, I guess. I mean, because on top of this, I added this podcast. I added this community that I'm building. I'm basically like treating all of this is if I have like three full-time jobs and weirdly I'm more functional that way than when I just, if I reduced it all just down to like, like if I was only committing to this podcast for whatever reason, I would be worse at doing this than I am. If I also have three other things on my plate because I'm strange. Okay. Uh, send me an email at podcast at chrisgrace.com or please join the community club.chrisgrace.com. Go to the giveaway section. Get yourself a free copy of that movie if you're the lucky one. And um, I think that's it. I think that's all that I need. Oh, congratulations to Eric Michaud, my husband, for winning Best Choreography at the Los Angeles Broadway World Awards. Uh, the musical he was involved in from last year, Teaching a Robot to Love. I believe they won seven Broadway World Awards. And one of them was Best Choreography for My Husband. So congratulations to Eric Michaud. Well-deserved. Uh, in between editing episodes of this glorious podcast. Uh, Anyway, I hope you're doing well. I hope you have a good week. And uh, you'll be hearing from me very soon. You've been listening to The Chris Grace Show. This episode was edited by Chris Grace. The opening music is Boom Opera by Easy Cooking. And the closing music is Chinese Hip Hop by Alexander Rufire. You can email us at podcast at chrisgrace.com or join our community at club.chrisgrace.com. I'm your host, Chris Grace, and thank you for listening to The Chris Grace Show.